Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Oh, that's good. Thank you. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. That's where we're starting this morning, Matthew chapter 17. We're a word-centered church, and so every time we open the Word of God because we believe the Word of God through the Spirit changes lives and brings people to salvation. Do you agree with that? All right. Matthew chapter 17. I do want to stop for a moment and say that along with Father's Day is the first day recognized as a national holiday of Juneteenth. Uh, one of the scourges on America of, of Abraham Lincoln was slavery. And uh, what a terrible thing it was. But when he uh, released the slaves and declared them free, it took two long years for that message to get to Galveston, Texas. And when it did, there was rejoicing in the streets over the freedom that uh, now has been given uh, to our African-American brothers and sisters. And so we rejoice with them today and we think about what is said in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 where it says this there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for all are one in Jesus Christ let's pray together and ask God blessing on his word God we thank you that there is no superior people, no superior nation, but all of us stand on equal footing at the cross of Christ in desperate need of salvation and the ongoing work of Christ and the gospel. God, we celebrate dads today and we celebrate the freedom for people who live on our soil that didn't once have it on this soil. And we rejoice in that and we ask that you would continue to bring people together as your design is to see all nations, every tribe and tongue worshiping around your throne. That's your end goal is to make a world of worshipers. And so we get to join in on that, that we want to see people worship, not themselves, not the world, but the true God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it is... June 19th. What happened to summer already? June 19th is already here. Isn't it crazy as Iowans, it feels like winter just goes on and on and on and on. And then like we have a week of spring and then summer is here. And then at the end of summer, with all the busyness, all the craziness, we say, what actually happened to my summer? Did I get anything done? If you're not intentional, we could waste our summer. And that's why we're doing this series, which is called Don't Waste Your Summer. And our goal for this series is this, that at the end of summer... When someone asks you, how was your summer? Often that question was like, ah, I got to think about it. I got I don't know. It seems like this summer was so fast. It was so quick. We want us to intentionally as a church be able to step back and say, I had a great summer. 
as I've developed some healthy rhythms of engaging with God and engaging with his people. Summertime is a gift and we don't want to waste it. I read an excerpt little here from John Piper speaking of summer and this is what he says. Don't let the coming of summer make your soul shrivel. God made summer as a foretaste of heaven, not a substitute. If the mailman brings you a letter from your fiance, don't fall in love with the mailman. Don't fall in love with the video preview and find yourself unable to love the coming reality. Jesus Christ is the refreshing center of summer. He is preeminent in all things, including vacations and picnics, softball and long walks and cookouts. He invites us this summer to come to me, all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you want it? That is the question. Christ himself to us is the proportion to how much we want his refreshment. You will seek me and find me, Jeremiah says, when you seek me with all your heart. Oh, may the end of our summer together, we look back and say, we sought Christ together as a church, and we found him with all our hearts, and our summer was not wasted. So this morning, I want to talk to you about don't waste your summer by neglecting God's word. Don't waste your summer by de- neglecting God's word, but instead see the gift of Scripture and establish healthy rhythm, rhythms to hear from God in his word. We're going to be primarily exploring this this morning through the life of Peter and his life and then also his writings. And we begin with something from his life here in Matthew chapter 17. Read with me verses 1 through 7. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, this is good that we're here. If you wish, I can make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And they lifted their eyes, and they saw one, no one but Jesus. So we had this amazing experience that only three people on the entire planet got to see. Not only did Peter, James, and John walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus, but there was a day that they saw him transfigured, meaning that Jesus took off the cloaking device that held back his glory that he still possessed but wasn't able to be seen. And Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in all of his glory. Here they were walking in comfort with him, talking with him, and now all of the sudden that changes because of his majesty. They are completely terrified. Moses and Elijah show up on this mountain as well. What? Moses and Elijah are here? 
Luke tells us that those two guys are talking to Jesus about his departure. And they're just having a, a conversation together. These guys that are the patriarchs that have been dead and that was a prophet, have been dead for a very long time, now show up. And then all of a sudden, if that wasn't good enough, the three guys hear the audible voice of God speaking directly to them. And they, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And you notice Peter's response in verse 4. As he said to them, Lord, this is good that we're here. If you wish, we can make three tents for one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Luke tells us in this same account that Peter was so terrified and overjoyed that he didn't even know what he was saying. He was just... A bubbling idiot. He's like, I don't know what this is or what's happening here, but I know that I don't want it to end. So if you want me to build shelters for you guys, we could just keep this thing going forever. Let's do it. I'm willing to do it. I don't ever want to come down from this mountain. This is so extraordinary. Have you ever been there before? Where you had a tremendous experience with God? Where it felt like his presence was just in a real way, just all around you. Aren't those moments, they're few and they're far between, but aren't they glorious where you just sit there and say, I don't want this to end. I feel so near and so close to God right now. I took a trip to Zion National Park last year, and I was in a particularly difficult place in my life and ministry and I found this huge rock to sit on right next to this river. And I looked up and the sun was descending upon these red rocks that were all around me. And I just began to talk to God in prayer as the tears flowed. And it was just this amazing moment where it felt like just Jesus was sitting right next to me. Have you ever had a moment like that before? I didn't want it to end, and I knew that it would, but I said, Jesus, on the new earth, I would love to come back to this spot and sit with you someday. Those moments are awesome. They are amazing. Peter goes on to probably be the greatest leader in the early church, but not only do we have his stories of his life, of his failures and his successes recorded, but we also have his personal writings or his letters to the church's as well. So if you have a Bible with me, it'll be next to me as well. Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Just a couple pages over, it's toward the back of your Bible. 2 Peter, chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 16. We're going to be in three different passages today. The next one, you can put your finger in it, it's going to be in 2 Timothy. But be ready, and we're going to go there in just a little while, okay? But 1 Peter. Chapter 16. Now remember, this is the one that saw Jesus Christ transfigured, walked with him. In verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 1 says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is writing a letter here to churches that are being overcome and overwhelmed by false teachers. It did not take long for false doctrines to come into the early church. 
And Peter is writing to these, this churches and saying, these guys that are coming in and saying they know better than us, that they know the things of God more than we do, I'm writing to tell you they don't. And you know what? Those guys were not with Jesus, but we were with Jesus and we were eyewitnesses of Jesus. So who are you going to trust those guys that don't know Jesus, that, don't walk, that didn't walk with him, are you going to trust their teaching or are you going to trust the teaching uh, that comes from me who was with Christ? In verse 17 now, Peter is going to pull out the ultimate trump card. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. It says, For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. So Peter comes out and says, okay, not only am I an eyewitness to Jesus, but there were plenty of those. I was an eyewitness to Jesus and his transformation. His tra- his, what's the word I'm looking for? Tra- thank you. That's the word. I don't know why I can't find it. Transfiguration. We saw Jesus in all of his glory. Now, I would think that that would be just the the ultimate trump card, wouldn't it? I mean, if if you've seen Brian Regan's uh, talk about uh, being in a social situation where you could walk up to somebody and they're talking about all their accolades and all their accomplishments, and then you could be one of the three guys that walked on the moon. And it just trumps everybody. It doesn't matter what anyone else has done. You're like, I walked on the moon. It's over. In the same way, Peter is like, it doesn't matter. I've seen Jesus in all of his glory. I saw Mo and Eli. We talked. If you don't know who that is, that's what he shortened Moses and Elijah's names to. That's the kind of relationship he had with them. He says, listen, it doesn't come any better than this. I, I saw Jesus in all of his glory, which is why verse 19 is so surprising. If that was the case, it was the ultimate trump card. It's so interesting what Peter says in verse 19. Listen and look at this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's seen Jesus transfigured and he's telling them about it. But then he says in verse 19, but I have something better than that. I have something more glorious than the transfiguration. I have the scriptures, the word of God. Peter says we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. If you look at the Greek, this is what it is actually saying. It's saying this, we have more sure the prophetic word or a more sure word. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying this, I have more confidence in the Bible than I do of all my experiences with Jesus, even the transfiguration. The Bible is more sure than that. That's why he mentions the transfiguration. He's contrasting these two. He wants them to go, wow, that's extraordinary. That's amazing. But he isn't using his authority because of the transfiguration. Peter is saying, no, my authority comes from something greater than what some people might be the greatest experience of their life. It comes from the word of God, the Bible. 
That's where my authority comes from. It's a more sure word than any, for any powerful experience you or I could ever have. So I want to unpack this for us this morning, the truth of this statement. And we see a little bit of it in verse 20 of this same chapter. Here's the why the Bible is better in verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of what? Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. The Bible is better because its source is God. The Bible is better because its source is God. He says, we don't get, it says, it's not of someone else's interpretation. That means we don't get to decide what God's word says. God tells us exactly what his, what, his, what his word says, and he doesn't ask our opinion. We don't ask culture what they think of the Bible. We don't even ask you what you think of the Bible. God has already spoken, and these men wrote those things down. We don't get to determine what the Bible says because the source is actually from God himself. A few years ago, uh, when it was the un- at the University of Iowa during uh, orientation, uh, one of the professors came and said, you know, I think we need to change our mascot, Herky, that's welcoming the students to be a little more friendlier. His face is just not that comforting when students see him. He looks kind of angry. You think about that, right? You, you know what the face looks like, and it's, ah, it's one of those, right? Well, that's, that's nice, and it's cool, but you can't change fundamentally who a hawk is, right? I remember I was sitting in the uh, parking lot at church one time, and I was watching a squirrel play in the, in the parking lot, and all of a sudden, a hawk swooped down and grabbed this thing. And its talons are just wrapped around this squirrel. And the squirrel's kind of looking at me in the car like, you know. And I'm looking at the squirrel. I was like, nothing I can do, buddy. And the hawk's wings are just over it like flapping. And he's just squeezing the squirrel. And then the hawk looks up at me and just looks me right in the eyes. He's like, yep, what are you going to do? It's like nothing. And then the hawk flies away with the squirrel. That's what hawks do. They're fierce. You can't fundamentally change a hawk. That's who they are. It doesn't matter what you think of it or what it should be. Peter is saying, it doesn't matter what I think. God told me exactly what I'm supposed to write. And that's what we wrote down. Peter is saying, I'm not writing my words, but the very words of God. And he explains how this works. He says, God used different men from different backgrounds with different personalities to write his word. It says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, like wind that is in a ship's sails, giving the direction and the power for the ship without the wind and the sails. It's not going anywhere. So these writers were carried along, empowered and directed by the Spirit of God to write the very words of God through their personalities, their backgrounds. So Peter sounds like Peter, Paul sounds like Paul, John sounds like John, but they all write, carried along by the Holy Spirit, the very words of God. So what we have here in the original autographs, we have what we have with us now are copies of the very words of God. 
Some people say, do you want to hear God's voice? The answer is read the Bible out loud. You could hear God's voice because it's not from man. It finds its source in God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. We'll stop right there for just a moment. The Bible is better because its source is God. All scripture is breathed out by God. As I expel words out this morning, my breath is coming out as well. And I had a breathment this morning, so that's a good thing. As you speak, breath comes out. And so Paul is writing to young Timothy and saying, it is God's word. The source of, of the Bible is God himself. It's his very words written down to us. So I know that even if I was sitting on that rock at Zion National Park and God spoke audibly to me and I knew that it was him, that experience would not be as sure as God's word. Because it's, it finds its source in God. You know, we can be so experience-driven people, can't we? I just want this experience. If I could just have this one thing where I could feel God's presence, then I would know exactly what to do. And we could sometimes look at our experiences and then put those over the Bible. This is what I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, We don't judge the Bible by our experiences. We judge our experiences by the Bible. We don't judge the Bible by our experiences. We judge experiences by the Bible. So we take God's word and we put it over top of our experiences and it makes sense of life, the things that we're going through. Instead of starting with our experience and trying to find it makes sense with the Bible, we start with the word of God and then it makes sense of our life and our experiences. Because here's what it says in the rest of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The word of God is breathed out and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the word of God is good for everything. Here's why the Bible is better. Secondly, first of all, it finds its source in God. Secondly, because the Bible completes you. Now, whenever I say that, I can't help but seeing Tom Cruise, right? You complete me. In the same way you look at the Bible and you say that. The Bible, this book, completes me. I don't need the transfiguration because I am complete in God's word. Listen, we need fathers who can model to children completeness in Christ. We need dads who instill confidence in their kids, who are looking for all kinds of identity and everything else to say you are complete in Jesus. And dad is still trying to find that himself. I have everything I need in the word of God. And so I'm going to be a man of the word of God. Because children are always watching, aren't they? This is a picture of me and my dad. I love my dad. You could tell that was the 80s there from his glasses, which are coming back again, which is really strange. And that's me down there just hanging out with dad, rubbing his neck and just on that beautiful shag carpet. My dad was awesome. He was also consistent in discipline. You see this next slide? There you go. Yeah. Took a, took a discipline very seriously. That was actually on my birthday. We don't have to keep looking at that one. But I remember my dad 
I had a banana seat bike. Anybody else have a banana seat bike? You know what I'm talking about? Ours was bought at a garage sale though and it no longer had the cover on it. So it was like the most uncomfortable like metal banana seat bike ever. It was absolutely terrible, but I didn't care. It got me around. And so I remember there was always this hill when I was growing up in Ohio that I would get to the top of this hill. And as I was about ready to go down it, I would go, nope, not today, not today. And I would jump off that hill and I'd walk all the way down it and then jump back on my bike. But there was one day where dad was riding with me. He wasn't on a banana seat. Of course, he had a sweet 10 speed, right? And he's riding up the hill in front of me. And I stopped at the top of the hill like usual. And he goes, come on, Bradley. And he goes, whoa. And he just zooms past me and is flying down this hill as I'm watching him go down. And I'm like, yes. And I kick up those, those, the tires and I start spinning. I go flying down that hill. You know what I'm talking about? And like the, the streamers on the end of my bike are flowing. My legs are up in the air. And I'm like, yes! What inspired me? The example of dad. Now I know not everyone has an example of dad. And there's men in this church that would love to be that example to you. But dads who are in this room, let us wake up when our kids wake up and they see us reading the Bible. Let us be models of being complete in Christ. That our children see, you know, dad has a lot of fun and he's got even a lot of cool stuff, but that's not where his completeness comes from. It comes from the word of God that tells us about who Jesus is. Listen, we're a word-centered church. That's That's our second pillar. We don't believe that any gimmicks is going to long-term bring you any kind of change in Christ. That's why we always preach the word of God, and we let it lay bare, and we let the word of God do its work, and that's what we're fully and always committed to. Because we are complete in him, it's good for everything, for teaching, for reproof, for instruction, and for training in righteousness. The Bible is better because it completes us. The Bible is also better because it equips you. Look at the second, verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now that man includes everyone. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hey, it's Father's Day, so I thought this clip would be appropriate. That's you when you leave the house in the morning, right? That's you. You're going into battle. And the word of God equips you to face the day. That's why the scripture is called the sword of the Lord. You would never think about going into battle without a sword, right? So why would we ever think that I can do life and be successful without being equipped with the word of God? The Bible equips you, and when you're equipped, it brings confidence. Some of you are so, you lack so much confidence to share your faith. You lack so much confidence to live life because you haven't spent time to be equipped by the word of God. Equipping brings confidence. When I went to Zion National Park, I didn't have any gear. If you've been to one of our vision meetings, you've heard this story before. 
I went to Trey Parrott's house to Parrot Outfitters. And he equipped me with all the gear that I needed for that hike. I mean, everything. And I was able to go by myself on a trip that I was not equipped to do because someone else had equipped me to do it. And it brought confidence. I went into it ready to go. You are not equipped in yourself to handle this life. Someone else has to equip you. And thanks be to God, he has given us Jesus and he has spoken to us exactly what we need, everything for life and godliness in the scriptures. Oh, would you believe that? And would you be equipped by it and experience the joy and the confidence of being a man, a woman, a teenager that loves God's word? So I want to invite you to encounter God this summer. Not just read the word of God to check off a list or to get some information, but to be transformed by God's word. Read it. I would encourage us. Let's, let's read the book of Philippians together if you're not reading the word of God right now. I would encourage you, if you're not a reader, download some apps. There's an app called the Dwell Bible app, which is awesome. You can listen to it while you drive. You can pick the, lang- the person who's reading it to you. It's incredible. version app has all kinds of tools that will help you read and to know the word of God. Pick up New Morning Mercies if you're not a person that that's just feels confident to jump into God's word. And Paul Tripp will help you along every day to find your grounding in the center of the gospel and give you some passages to read. That's New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. Listen, because I want you to experience the joy of being a man and a woman of God's word. I grew up in the church. I even went to Bible college. But graduating from there, I owned all kinds of Bibles, but none of them owned me. It wasn't until I was 24 years old that I really got into the Word of God. And I don't know if I was converted when I was 24. I'm not sure. But the Word of God was ignited in my life, and it came alive to me. As I disciplined myself to the hard work of getting into God's Word, I was changed. I was transformed. I stopped sinning in the life-dominating sins that were so over top of me that I felt like I couldn't get away from. The Word of God changed my life, and it still continues to do so. And I would encourage you, if you're not in the Word of God, get into it. If you are in the Word of God, keep in it and live it. Peter is inviting us to go up the mountain with him to hear the voice of God. That's what you're doing when you open the Bible is you're going up the mountain to hear God's voice. Now, it's not always awesome and amazing, but it's doing something. It's good. Even when you don't feel like it, God is working through his word. Look at verse 14 and 15. They're just up a couple more verses in the very same chapter of 1 Timothy chapter 3 as our last point is this. Verse 14 says, Peter is talking to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Lastly, the Bible is better because it points you to salvation. That's why it exists. Paul says the Bible exists to point you to salvation in Jesus. 
The Old Testament points to salvation in Jesus. The Gospels tell you about salvation in Jesus. The letters and acts point back to salvation in Jesus. That's the whole point of the Bible is for you to find salvation in Jesus. And he says, through faith. He doesn't say it makes you wise to salvation to find Jesus where you can then start living a better life and then he'll bring you into salvation. It doesn't say so that you can have Jesus and then he gives you a couple of steps that you can do to meet him halfway and meet him where he's gotten you in and now find your way to salvation. No, it says through faith in Jesus because Jesus has done everything. And we simply trust him. Because Peter saw Jesus' glory, but then he would come down from that mountain. And he would see Jesus' glory again as he would ascend another hill. And as he ascended this hill to Calvary, he would go up that hill not to be affirmed by God, but to be rejected by God. So that you could be accepted by God through faith alone. I want you to trust him today. The whole Bible is written to see that you're a sinner that you can't do anything good on your own to receive salvation, but it's been bought for you fully by the precious blood of Christ. Let's pray together.